Uh, let me pray as we come to God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that it has been handed on to us. As we live for the body that is weak and perishing in a world that is weary and crumbling. We thank you that apart from you, there is no good thing. Please make known to us the path of life in which to make our stand in this broken world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our church property here is dominated by a graveyard outside and when we see a graveyard we might think that it is the end of the line. We have a natural prejudice against thinking that the dead are raised to life. And regarding the question of life after death, there tends to be three kinds of reaction. And reaction number one, you think when you die, you die. That's it. You've just got to hope that between now and then there is not too much inconvenience and that you can enjoy the ride. And the motto is to eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Reaction number two, others invent a belief based on what makes them feel good. And motto, he's up there in the sky looking down. We hear types of things at funerals saying, oh, they're up there looking. There's no evidence to base that kind of thinking on. How can we say they're up there looking down on us when we don't actually believe anything about the resurrection? Reaction number three, you can look at the evidence for Jesus coming back from the dead and consider whether we might he might have something to say about the topic of life after death. And over the last few weeks we've unpacked how Christians have based their faith on the reasonable evidence of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. It's not a blind faith that we have, but it's a, a faith that we have based on evidence, the evidence of Jesus and his rising from the dead. And for the people that Paul was writing to, they too struggled to comprehend with the concept that somebody could possibly come back from the dead. And in response to their struggles, Paul asks two questions in this passage at the beginning. And he may have heard the text, but he addresses them here and he raises them. And you can see those, if you have the passage there. In, 32, he's, in 35, he asks this question. But someone may ask, how were the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? The first doubtful question is, a, how is it even possible kind of question? And the second question reflects that doubt in thinking about what would it look like if somebody was raised from the dead? Like surely it's not like a zombie wandering around or I, I guess we might have similar kinds of questions as we look at the, at the same type of thing. When, when, you know, do we look the same when we die? If we die in old age, do we come back as an old person? What about babies when they die? Do they rise to life as babies? And you know, what about people who, are, who die in an explosion or something and there's nothing left? Of their body. What happens to people like that? There are so many what about, what about, what about kinds of questions. But Paul's initial response of how foolish there, he says in verse 36, it's, it's sort of directed at the skeptic there, who a skeptic who thinks that it's ludicrous to claim that a body can come back to life. Now Paul had already been mocked by the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, and he was facing unbelief among the people in the Corinthians of believing the evidence about the resurrection of Jesus. Just because it seems crazy and unusual, it doesn't mean we should disregard the evidence. A fool only looks for reasons not to believe, rather the evidence that there is to believe in the resurrection of the dead. 
And Paul then gives an example using language that is normally applied to seeds and plants. And he gives a few examples in this passage. But he applies the language of seeds and plants to the language of the human body. So have a look at it there in verse uh, 37. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. To each, uh, to each kind of seed, he gives it its own body. Oh, sorry, I missed the, um, 36 there. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat. And then it appears above the surface, do you? You, you don't put a plant under the, under the surface and expect the plant to sort of somehow pop up. You put a seed in there, and then that seed is transformed into a plant. Now, I remember going to the market a few years ago with my wife, Liz, and buying some toma a tomato plant basket. And what it was is a basket, and it had dirt in it, and you got this packet of seeds. And uh, when I opened the packet of seeds, I thought I'd been ripped off pretty much of these tiny little seeds. And I'm um, thinking, how on earth are you going to get a, t a tomato plant from this packet of tiny seeds? So we sort of, you know, chucked them all in there and covered it with dirt and sort of, you know, here we are getting ripped off. We've lost our money. But sure enough, we're amazed when sometime later, all of a sudden, this tiny little shoot starts to appear. And before we know it, a few weeks later, we had this tomato plant and some tomatoes, some mini tomatoes started to grow. It was amazing. It's the first time I'd actually planted things in my life and seen them grow. I couldn't believe it. Something was going on here. And I guess it would be foolish to look at a seed and say it's impossible. It's impossible for a plant to come out of that because we can't discern how on earth it would happen. In a similar way, it would be foolish to deny the possibility possibility of a resurrection just because of a prejudice against what looked like in something that was impossible at face value. And verse 38 goes on to say, God gives it a body just as he determined to, and to each kind of seed it gives its, its own body and it is clear that it is an act of God's grace to perform such a radical transformation as a resurrection from the dead. We cannot make ourselves rise from the dead. That's impossible. But the creator of the universe, who gave us life to beginning with, can give us a resurrection body just as he determines. Now, there's a bit of an organic relationship used between the seed and the resulting plant, a continuity, they say. So if you plant, a tomato, if you plant tomato seeds, what do you get? You get a tomato plant. Plant an apple seed, you get an apple tree, and so on. So when we think about the resurrection of the dead, and um, in some way our identity when we are raised to life will be the same. There will be some unique way to identify us, but not just physically, but in our persona as well. Just like Moses and Elijah were identifiable in the flesh by the disciples at the Mount of Transfiguration when they were with Jesus, so too will there be some way to identify us as distinctive individuals when we're raised to life. But there will also be a bit of a discontinuity. Something profoundly different about us will take place. For the plant looks nothing like the original seed. So there's going to be a transformation. And he illustrates this transformation with his next example in verse 39. And this is what he says in 39. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. And fish another. Now... 
When you go for lunch, there's lots of choices, isn't there? Okay, put your hands up. Chicken and chips. Who goes for chicken and chips down at Arnold's? Yes, so some people. What about fish and chips? Who goes for fish and chips? Up here on the corner here. Yes, fish and chips. Maybe a T-bone. Who goes for the T-bone? Uh, yes, that's... Yes, that's uh, the chef's wife used to have great T-bones, but not anymore. Um, and there's lots of different types of fruit. And maybe there's some vegetarians among us as well who go for the veggies and chips, maybe. Uh, there's lots of different types of choices. But there's, there's, there's you know, the reason we like chicken and not fish is it's different kind of flesh. It's a different kind of flavour. It's different kind of meat. There are different, lots of different types of flesh, and that's the po point that Paul is making. The key point that he is making is that just like there are many kinds of flesh in the world, then God can make a body designed for earth and a body designed for heavenly existence as well when we are raised again. Now, uh, what is, why is that beyond him? Why is that beyond him when there's so much variety in creation? Of course it's not beyond God to create a body designed for earth and a body designed for a heavenly existence. And he makes a similar point by shifting from the realm of creation uh, here on earth to the realm of outer space. And he says in verse 40, have a look at verse 40 there, there are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. He gives some examples. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star even differs from star in splendour. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. Now engaging with the language of the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, there was, a, there was the greater light of the sun and the lesser light of the moon and so too will there be a kind of a greater glory attached to our resurrected bodies than the glory that we have here on earth. Now, okay, let's do a quick summary of where we're up so far. Quick summary. Some people may say a body is a body is a body. It's just a body. That's it. You die, you die. But Paul has pointed out from nature there are different kinds of bodies. First is the example of a, a body of a seed compared to the body of a plant that grows from the seed. There's a difference there. There's a connection with the original seed, a continuity but there was also a difference between the plant and the seed, a discontinuity as well. Then secondly, he points out that not all flesh is the same. Humans are different from animals, and animals have different flesh from each other. So there can be a natural body and there can be a resurrection body. Then he broadens this out to say there are different kinds of splendour or glory attached to these bodies. The parts of the universe in the sky and outer space have a different kind of splendour and glory than the things here on earth. And now he goes on from verse 42 to apply all this to the resurrection of the body. And so this is where he comes to, verse 42, and he says this. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. Now here Paul revisits some of the language of sowing that he originally introduced in verse 36. So he says in 42 there, The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. So when he speaks of the word sowing here, he seems to be talking about a body here at the point of death as it's buried. This is sort of a natural connection, uh, excluding cremation, of course, but when you bury a body. And like a seed is buried, as he mentioned previously, uh, like a body is buried in the ground. 
And there are four ways he describes our bodies at the point of death. Now, it's not always a very easy topic to talk about, but he uses four words, perishable, dishonour, weakness, and a natural body. Let's just unpack them quickly. The first word is perishable. It's a very confronting word, actually. Perishables is the word we use for food that we're chucking out. The milk goes off and we chuck it out or something's out of date. Things that go off. Now, I remember um, quite clearly the day after my father died with a lot, after a long battle with cancer. Uh, we nursed him at home for the last uh, year and he died in our family home looking up at the mountains down on the south coast. And the guys came the next day to take his body and they warned us. They said, uh, it could be actually quite distressing uh, as we take his body. We've, we've got a, a bag and we have to put his body into a bag and zip it up and we have to take it out. It can be quite confronting. So if you'd prefer to leave the room, it's probably, you know, this is the opportunity to leave the room. So it's not so confronting. And my mother and I stayed and, and we watched that part and it was okay. But it was actually what was unexpectedly confronting was that they had to carry the bag down the side of the house. We've got a bit of an unusual house. Our front door was at the back. And, uh, and so they had to sort of go down the side of the house. But down the side of the house was the pathway where we had all our rubbish bins. And we sort of, as they went past, they carried the bag down the side of the house where the rubbish bins were. It was a very confronting image because it was, it was like they were chucking the rubbish out. I was just carrying a bag out and they were chucking the rubbish out the same way we'd take the rubbish out to the, to the street to be taken by the garbage truck. It was a very confronting image. And it's a very uh, deep reality that uh, our bodies are perishing. Our bodies are perishing just like a bag of rubbish. Now, my father obviously means more to me than just a bag of rubbish that's getting chucked out by the side of the curb. But it's a very graphic image that we are perishing. And the word translated for perishable also reflects the language of corruption. Throughout our lifetimes, our bodies are physically breaking down, but there is also a sense in which we are tainted by a moral corruption as well. This is related to the next word that is used, the word dishonour. It is sown in dishonour. Now, as much as there'll be a lot of pageantry around the death of Queen Elizabeth and her funeral, Queen Elizabeth II, at the end of the day, there's nothing honourable about her dead body. They'll be putting her body in a bag. There's nothing honourable about that. It is sown in dishonour. The third word is weakness. Some might try and fine-tune their bodies. Obviously not me, but it is a, so that it is a marvel to behold. But at the end of the day, our bodies are still weak instruments that are powerless in the face of death. The older we get, the more frail we become, the more vulnerable to sickness we become, the more we are faced with more constraints and restrictions. The natural outcome of our weakness is death. It's designed for life here on earth, not a spiritual body that's designed for heaven. The bodies that we have here on earth are ill-adapted to the life to come. They perish, they're weak. They're dishonourable, they're natural, they're not supernatural. What we need in the world to come is a body in tune with the spirit of God, a supernatural spiritual body, and that's why it uses the word spiritual here. Not in the sense of a non-physical spirit floating in the air or a superhuman, superhuman, super kind of power 
flying through the air like Superman. But it's a kind of perfected supernatural physical body designed for heaven that is perfectly guided by the spirit of the living God. There is no corruption. It's not perishable in any way. But in our perishable, dishonourable, weak, natural state, how can, we, how can we be raised imperishable? How can we be raised in glory? How can we be raised in power? How can we be raised with a spiritual, supernatural body? And Paul goes on to show us that the bridge from our earthly existence to the heavenly existence is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does this by comparing Jesus with the man who had the first natural body, the man Adam. He was a living being with a natural body and he's described in verse 47 there. Dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. Verse 48 and 49 also sort of pick up, uh, it said the earthly man. Uh, he speaks in the, to our connection. And as was the earthly man, so are those of the earth. We're related to the earthly man. And 49, just as we've been born in the darkness of the earthly man, Adam was the earthly man. He was the first man of dust, and we all follow. He's passed his nature onto all of us. The corrupted, perishable, weak nature that we have that leads to death, it's been passed on to all of us. But where Adam introduced death into the world, Jesus introduces a resurrection from the dead. Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. In human history, Adam came first, representing the natural state of mankind. Perishable, dishonourable, weak. Jesus came next, representing the spiritual, the spiritual state. Imperishable, glorious, powerful. Paul continues with his comparisons by broadening the categories here from natural to spiritual to earthly and heavenly. And he goes on to say in 47, The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. The origins of the two men are laid out. Adam is from the earth and represents death, and Jesus is from heaven and represents life. And although we are all participants in the corrupted nature of Adam, there is the opportunity, there is the opportunity to be renewed in Christ. So the short answer to the questions that Paul asked at the beginning about what kind of body is that that the resurrectional body will be, is that it will be the opposite of the four words that are described in verse 42 to 44. What kind of body? It will be imperishable. It will be glorious. It will be powerful. It will be spiritual. That is, it will be like Christ's heavenly resurrected body. I guess the question for all of us is, who do we want to be associated with? Do we want to remain with Adam in our natural, habitual state of corruption and perishability and weakness with no hope of renewal for eternity? Or do we want to leave, leave it behind us and be raised in imperishable glory and power through Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ himself said these words in John chapter 12 when he was talking. He said in chapter 12 verse 24, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. 
The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My, uh, will be my father, will honour the one who serves me. Now maybe who has rejected the possibility of life after death because you have a prejudice towards something that you can't understand or explain. But the evidence about Jesus is there to be weighed. The evidence is there. Maybe it's time to recognise the reality that the person who loves their life will ultimately lose it when it comes to time to perish at the point of death. But the good news of Jesus is that when he died on the cross, because he perished in our place, because we're so busy worshipping and serving created things rather than the creator. And God perished, Jesus perished in our place, and he rose again to offer us a free gift of forgiveness, of new life, where we are not abandoned to the grave. Jesus is giving us an invitation to follow him beyond the grave and into eternity. Perhaps talk to a a trusted Christian friend after the service if you want to find out more about this. Talk to me about what it means to follow Jesus down the path of true life. But for those of us who are already in Christ, that process of renewing has already begun. Not in the physical sense, obviously, you know, the older we get, we're not looking any better. We're not sort of being renewed in that sense, but we're, the Spirit of God is reorienting our, reorienting our hearts and our minds to be more like the way we're always intended to be. Jesus is calling us to die to our natural selves and to reject the natural inclinations and corruptions of our hearts. And in, the way, uh, in, the, in, that, and in that way, we will we'll really know what life is about as we explore that and grow. And in a practical way, that is related to the way that we view our bodies. This passage is talking about our bodies. And we live in a world where people have a love-hate relationship with their bodies. This whole industry is based around it. And uh, we're obsessed with our bodies, but yet never satisfied. And there's a lot of insecurity, especially among young people, and it's very sad. And I'm sure for all of you, there are all manner of imperfections that you struggle with within your own body. For me personally, one thing is the, uh, I have seventh nerve damage down the side of my face, which I've had since birth, and it affects the way that I smile, and I can't close my left eye, and I can't smile on my left-hand side. And as a child, I I spent many a years contorting my face in the mirror, trying to get myself to smile on that side of my face, because I could only smile on this side and not that side. I'm very sensitive to the reality that this is on show every time I interact with people and particularly when I meet new people. Kids especially have an unconscious ability to stare. There's a few kids staring yesterday and it was just constantly reminding me there's something not quite right. Yes, that's right, I can't smile. My face looks a bit unusual. And at times it's tempting for me to be so consumed with with that reality that I hide away and don't talk to people. That's the temptation I have. And I go through different stages of being overly self-conscious at times. It affects the way that I relate to people. The irony is that God's called me to serve in a role that's up front where I'm in front of people all the time. And so I've got to learn how to adjust to that. 
But as I've reflected on this passage about how our bodies will be physically resurrected, it sort of reminds me uh, that God cherishes the body he has given me. Because our, the body he has given me is the same body that's going to rise again. So whether I'll be able to smile on both sides of my face in heaven, it doesn't really matter because my heavenly body will be a glorious, imperishable, powerful, healthy, strong body with no signs of ageing. But this new body won't come until Jesus returns. So while we wait, we shouldn't be obsessed with trying to have a perfect body now, for there is no such thing as a perfect body anyway. Sure, we need to make sure that we're wise stewards of our bodies and work hard to maintain our health. But the reality is our bodies in their natural state are going to continue to break down. And we're going to be saddened, disheartened and discouraged by sickness and weakness. And that's, a, that's, a, that's an appropriate thing to be uh, realising as our bodies slowly perish. But we shouldn't be surprised by it. We shouldn't be shocked. But one thing we can be encouraged by that is that one day the struggle that we have with all the imperfections of our bodies is going to end. That is a day to look forward to. It's a day when our bodies will be raised, imperishable. And so as we struggle with the reality of living with bodies that are, don't quite work 100%, let's not be consumed by that and make it the centre of our lives. But let's keep focusing on what is of first importance, that the news of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, and what that means for our hope in the future. And let's be obsessed by that. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even though our bodies are perishing, we know that death is not the end of the line. We know that you will not abandon us to the grave. We thank you that Jesus rose from the dead. And we thank you for, that for those, all of us who are in Christ, we too will rise from the dead. we will rise imperishable. Help us not to be consumed by the imperfections of our bodies, but to delight in knowing that one day our bodies will be raised as glorious, imperishable, powerful, healthy, strong bodies to be all you designed them to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we have a time in our service now where we stand and say the creed together before we sing, and it's, it's a great um, opportunity to remind ourselves of what it is that we believe as Christians. That's one of the reasons we gather together, to remind ourselves of what we believe. And the, uh, the creed that we're about to say has at the bottom, the very last line, that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So as we say this creed together and remind ourselves of what it is that we believe, let's take great comfort that it includes the words, the resurrection of the body. If you're not a believer here today, that's okay. Maybe you can just stand and listen to the words that are being said.
and perhaps consider about whether they're words that you want to actually believe in the future. Uh, let's stand and uh, say the creed together. Brothers and sisters, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived.